wonder-working stars in the precious... Incredible as they seem, are not the results of mass hysteria. <laughs> You may wish to adjust the dial. You are currently tuned into the wrong station. Some 15 hours after the murder, the residents and guests at Flusherton Manor were most surprised at the arrival of a vehicle that was not a police car. It was a grey Daimler. It had been expensive once, but was now battered and rusting around the fenders from years of hard use along muddy, stone-filled country roads like these. It was well suited to the famous man who climbed from its back seat and stood a moment surveying the manor house, with its Regency proportions, facade of ashlar limestone, and tripartite Venetian windows. He had visited many such manor houses during the course of his storied career, though his appearance did not suit them. He was Aquis Belanger, the famous Quebecois detective, whose exploits had been splashed across the headlines for a generation. He had solved the case of the Empire Sapphires, had located the true murderer of the Princess Eliana, and had been instrumental in tidying up that unpleasantness at the Enyo Society. The newspapers adored him. An editorial in the Globe had once gone so far as to describe him as a credit to his race, which, given the Globe's stance toward la francophonie in general, and the Quebecois in particular, was quite singular. At the manor's dark windows, guests and residents alike vied for a glimpse of that famous figure, the blue and buff plaid coat of eastern townships, Perlin, the battered grey beret nestled onto its crown of graying curls, the pouchy eyes, the cracked cheeks and grey beard, and the inimitable cigarette hanging from his lips, perpetually burned three-quarters of the way down, with its column of ash somehow intact. Even after all these years, after fame and fortune, they said he still imported these foul, unfiltered cigarettes from the Ganawage Mohawk Reservation. As an expert on this subject, he had once quipped, all tablets do not die, unless murdered. Below the dark windows, a black door opened between white pillars, and the tired figure of Detective Inspector Allingham appeared, his shoulders slumped and his hands in his pockets. It's a rotten one, Belanger, he said, leading the famous detective in through the front doors. They all are, Allingham. This one especially, said the D.I. You've seen the body? Oui. Lady Elspeth Knight, one of the great beauties of our time, I'd say. It is a shame said Belanger. What happened to the back of her head, then? But Ellingham paid no attention to the remark. He was used to Belanger's famed gallows humor, and knew it to be a defense mechanism against the grim nature of their work. Like a figure from a pre-Raphaelite painting. So beautiful. Oh, so sad. It is easy to romanticize the dead, Ellingham. Belanger stopped, bowing his head. At the base of a flight of stairs leading up to the Bel Etage second floor, 
waited a person no less famous than himself, a tidy, handsome blond man of short stature in immaculate morning dress. A soft blue check of his gray morning coat called attention to the soft blue of his eyes. Sportsman, philanthropist, face of the new aristocracy. His grace, the Duke of Grey, whom the papers often referred to as the People's Duke. Ah, Belanger, he said, striding forward to shake the detective's hand. Thank the Lord you've come. We've suffered a horrible loss here. Where? I am told the victim. She had children. Yes, said the Duke, shaking his head. Truly a shame. A boy and a girl, Dominic and Marietta, eleven and fourteen years old. I'm told you have a daughter about the same age? Where? said Belanger, with a stony face. It is a time of great changes in one's life. An awful time to lose one's only parent. Lady Elizabeth's husband, as was so often the case in those days, had perished in the war while she was still pregnant with Dominic. A pity, said Duke Grey. Still, he added bracingly, with the characteristic grit of the upper class, we must be brave for the children. And, of course, as Elizabeth's friends, we will see that they are looked after. You are as generous a man as the papers portray you, seigneur, said Belanger, and the duke fairly blushed at the compliment. Sporting of you to say, sir, he mumbled. Sporting indeed. Your grace, said Ellingham, we are to visit the scene of the crime. Perhaps you might find it difficult. But the duke shook his head. You forget, sir, I visited the troops in Flanders during the war. I am used to such things. Come, I'll show you the way. He led them upstairs and past a drawing-room, where the guests drank tea and brandy and craned their necks for a glimpse of the famous sleuth. "'I am led to believe,' said Belanger, studying each in turn as he passed, "'that there are several suspects.' "'Yes, I am afraid so,' said Ellingham. "'The Badmore Asylum lies not ten miles away, and they did have a recent escape.' "'Eh, Monsieur L'Etrange, a most violent gentleman.' "'Jack Strange, yes.' said Ellingham, and he has been sighted in the area. Mm. But there are other suspects, too. One of the servants, a Mr. Albert Crusher, has a history of domestic abuse, including aggravated assault. Was he involved uh, domestically with Lady Knight? Ellingham shot an embarrassed look in the direction of Duke Grey. Oh, come, Ellingham, said the Duke. It's the twentieth century, and if there's one thing I can't stand, it's this devotion to keeping up appearances. Yes, Hallingham, these things happen. Monsieur Belanger, there were... whispers. Crusher is a handsome man. Byronesque, you might say. Elizabeth wouldn't have been the first. Hmm, said Belanger. Perhaps. And if it were the case, well, let us say Madame was not uh, unattractive herself. Jealousy, they tell me, is a powerful motive. Were there... Rivals for the affections of Madame. Another embarrassed glance passed from Allingham toward the Duke. Belanger did not fail to notice it. There were very few things that Belanger failed to notice. Well, said Allingham, of course, Lady Elsbeth was. Oh, do quit it, Allingham, interjected the Duke. This is murder. Your sense of propriety is quite unwarranted. Yes, Belanger, there was somebody who would have felt jilted by Elsbeth's taking up with someone else. Especially if that someone else was a servant, and especially if that servant was... a man. Belanger's pouchy eyes widened. Do you mean... he said. Yes, 
said the Duke. Lady Elspeth and the Vicomtesse of Floss were formerly entangled. Ah, Belanger begins to see. And Madame la Vicomtesse is here now? Yes, the woman in the black fur with the cloche hat. Hmm. Allingham jumped in. But surely we don't suspect the Vicomtesse. I mean, a woman of her station. Belanger and Gray both turned to look at him. It is the twentieth century, Gray said again. Gray, said Belanger, and Lady Macbeth herself, they tell me, was a woman of high station. They arrived at the crime scene, where a uniformed officer stood aside, allowing them entrance to the room. It was a gorgeous space, plasterwork ceilings illuminated by broad sash windows. Pale chinoiserie wallpapers offset the burnished magnificence of a Louis Majorelle desk. A floor of unsurpassed Versailles parquity was disfigured only by the pool of dried blood. I do wish the police would allow us to clean that up, said Gray. It is distasteful, Gray, said Belanger. But distasteful things are useful in this line of work. He glanced around, his dark eyes capturing everything. Besides the blood, the room was spotless. What about money, he said. Money, said Allingham. Well, so far we have several of the classical motivations for a killer. Brute violence, domestic violence, and the violence of a jilted love. What remains? Money. Well, l'argent. Did Lady Elizabeth stand to inherit anything? No, said the Duke. She was, well, perhaps not desperate, but... But poor enough to resort to blackmail? Allingham whitened. Her he said. Oh, surely not. I understand, said Belanger, that you have fallen quite in love with the deceased Allingham, but the woman had two children to raise, not to mention a style of living to which she had become accustomed. I won't believe it, said Allingham. What about you, senor? said Belanger. Can you think of anyone in that room which has passed? Anyone with money and a secret? The Duke's face had fallen. No he said. That I won't believe. The bishop is a good man. The stories about his voyeurism are nothing but... Are nothing but motive, regardless of whether or not they are true, said Belanger. Hmm. Gentlemen, I have much to ponder, and it will take me some hours to examine the room. Allingham, would you remain with me for a while? I find it useful to bounce my more absurd ideas off your good sense. The detective inspector assented and Duke Grey took his leave, after begging them not to forget that the entire resources of Flesherton Manor were entirely at their disposal. "'A good sort, His Grace,' said Allingham, after the Duke had left. "'Class, but no heirs. Got the common touch, as they say.' Eh, "'As for me,' said Belanger, "'I prefer the term noblesse oblige. As a member of the commons, I prefer not to be touched.' He moved in slow, concentric circles out from the bloodstain, dark eyes examining every inch for some trace of evidence the Anglo detectives had missed. They settled, for a moment, on a trio of little scuff marks in the varnish, forming an equilateral triangle. Belanger looked up, and across from the bed he found his own grey reflection staring back at him from a tarnished silver mirror. He looked aside. Belanger did not care for his own appearance. As for Allingham, he continued to talk. It was part of their routine. Many was the time when Allingham's musings had triggered some triumphant insight in the detective's brain. 
gorgeous room, isn't it, Belanger? he said. Still, not the first time we've seen digs like this, eh? Indeed, no, Allingham, Belanger replied, eyes back on the floor. Indeed, it sometimes seems to Belanger that he has spent his whole life in rooms like this. He knelt momentarily by the bed. There, protected from a broom by the belled-out ruffles of its skirt, he found a black spot on the varnish. He dabbed it with a fingertip and sniffed. Metallic. Allingham opened his mouth to speak, but Belanger, normally so taciturn, surprised him by going first. Did I ever tell you about my first case, Inspector? Oh, uh, the case of St. Aldolphus's forceps? No. This was when I was a child. Allingham laughed. I've never thought of you as a child, Belanger. To be honest, I can scarcely imagine it. Did you smoke Mohawk cigarettes even then? Where? Belanger drifted to the window and examined the sill. No markings of any kind. He turned back to the room, struck again by its stillness, its tidiness. No sign of any struggle. The blood was all pooled together in one place, with none of the high-velocity splats and splatters he had seen in so many rooms like this one. A single injury to the back of the head. Blunt, yes? That's right, said Allingham. It would require a certain amount of strength. Crusher and Strange are both strong men, around six feet. The Vicontess is small, but I wouldn't rule her out. She plays polo and by all accounts swings a nasty polo stick. <sighs> she is quite petite, however, while Madame Knight was a tall woman and seems to have been standing up when she was killed. If La Vicomtesse had been the killer, we might expect her to have struck the base of the skull, and not the top. But that doesn't rule her out, surely. Belanger never rules anybody out. What about this pool of blood? No spray. What do you make of that, Allingham? Hmm. Dispassionate. Quite collected, said the D.I. Hmm. Weh. The frenzy of an escaped psychopath? I think not. Which leaves Crusher and the bishop. Though the bishop is an old man, getting frail, would he have been strong enough to kill with a single blow? Uh, an interesting question. What would you say to that, if you were Belanger? Allingham hesitated, and then his eyes lit up. I'd say that maybe he is, if he was acting alone. Is that it, then? Did someone kill Lady Knight on behalf of the bishop or the vicomtesse? But Belanger had lost interest in that line of inquiry. He had turned to rummage through that majorelle desk, and as he did, he changed the subject back to his childhood. Where Belanger grew up, he said, there were houses like this. Not so nice, perhaps, but of a similar kind. Chateau clique avec catholique, bishops, old money. The same everywhere, where? He began to pull out shelves and stack them on the floor. The desk was filled only with the usual detritus, pens, papers, rusted clips. One shelf was completely empty, save for a crumpled black triangle of glossy paper. Belanger held this up to the gray light, squinting. Belanger had a brother, Allingham, until he disappeared into houses such as this. He's about the same age then as the daughter of Mademoiselle Knight, the same age as Belanger's daughter now. You can see why it is on my mind these days. He pocketed the triangle and reached into the dark space that had held the drawers. 
I sometimes think, Erlingham, that I have spent my whole life in these houses looking for him. Or at least, looking for those who took him away. His thick, gnarled fingers closed on something. He felt that similar jolt of excitement, that emotion that had returned him again and again to detecting, no matter how grisly the job had been. Deuced sorry to hear that, Belanger, said Allingham, who had turned away. It's a rum story. Damned rum, if you ask me. But Belanger wasn't listening. He was staring at the dark, glossy photograph he had just pulled from the back of the desk. A photograph which was missing the crumpled triangle of one corner. Somebody had cleaned out the drawer, but in their haste they had ripped away the corner of the photograph that had fallen behind instead of pulling it out along with everything else. But the feeling of triumph Belanger usually felt at such moments had evaporated, and he found himself filled with loss, emptiness, and cold. Erlingham, he said, pocketing the photo before the D.I. could turn around. I have a suspect. The rest of that afternoon and the next day, the great Belanger interviewed suspects, witnesses, and guests. He made several calls to the city, where his own network of informants confirmed alibis, histories, and hunches. As evening arrived on the second day, it brought with it a great storm, so that when Belanger gathered the guests and residents of Flesherton Manor together in the parlor, gusts of wind and claps of thunder shivered the wide, black Venetian windows. So, said Belanger, imitating Napoleon by adopting a central position in the drawing room. The gathered servants and gentry had sorted themselves into concentric rings, with high status close to the middle and low status ranged around the walls. Detective Inspector Allingham stood by the door, flanked by two mean-looking constables. A third constable, even larger than the other two, stood in front of the servant's door, with meaty arms crossed across his barrel chest. So, said Belanger again, I have solved the murder of Lady Elizabeth Knight. A collective gasp. I knew you would, said the Duke. The great Belanger always gets his man. There were several suspects, said Belanger. Most of them are in this room. What about Strange? said one of the guests. Jack Strange, the escaped mental patient. Where, Monsieur Latrange? The timing of his escape, most inauspicious. Almost as though organized to cast confusion over the case. The newspapers, I notice, have taken the narrative quite up. In one hand, he unfurled a copy of that morning's globe, which blared the headline, Strange Top Suspect in High-Profile Murder. Below this, the deck elaborated that members of Parliament were facing calls to put an end to the supposed lax conditions at prisons and mental facilities across the country. But no, said Belanger. Letrange was found this morning in a hayloft outside of Faversham, quiet in the other direction from Badmore. But surely, said Allingham, it was possible for him to have fled there after committing the crime. Possible, perhaps, but incredibly unlikely, given the evidence that he'd been living there for several days without the use of, facilities. Uh, oh my, said Gray. What a thought. But there were other suspects. Monsieur Crusher, the butler. All eyes turned to the handsome, brooding man who stood alone in the corner of the room. And Madame la Vicomtesse. A chorus of gasps. Somebody said, preposterous. Indeed, said Belanger, raising a thick eyebrow until it touched his gray curls. Indeed, it is preposterous. 
Madame la Vicomtesse could not have committed the murder. At the time, she was otherwise engaged. Avec Monsieur Crusher. Pandemonium broke out. Amid the outcry, the Vicomtesse surged to her feet, face ablaze with righteous anger. She betrayed me, she shouted. I had every right. For his part, Crusher merely bowed his head, scarlet with shame, and glanced out the window toward the raging storm. But Belanger was far from finished flinging his grenades. He raised both hands for silence, and when it came, he said, And their alibi is confirmed. Several of the servants overheard the row that ensued when they discovered their tryst was witnessed by the bishop. Another grand outcry. The bishop sprang to his feet, knocking aside a glass of sherry which shattered to the floor. None of you have any right to judge me, he shouted. Nobody in this room. Bishop, said the Duke of Grey, very quietly. An immediate silence fell. All eyes turned to that tidy figure in the grey-blue windowpane suit. I think, he said, that we ought to allow Monsieur Belanger to finish. Monsieur, you seem to have rather exhausted all of your suspects. Who, then, do you suppose committed the murder? Dark eyes met the blue, and Belanger reached into the pocket of his famous wool coat. The murderer, he said, producing the evidence, is the person who took this photo. This time, no hubbub arose. The content of the photograph was far more shocking than anything previously discussed that evening. But the gathered crowd did not react. No surprise, no shock, just utter emotional stillness. This photo of a boy, said Belanger in his gravelly voice, of about eleven, a girl, about fourteen. The Duke said nothing. Nobody said anything. Madame was, uh, how did you put it, Signor? Perhaps not desperate, but. She had a standard of living to which she had become accustomed. She had few means of maintaining that standard. But what she did have was two children. To a certain kind of person that is as good as currency. Eh? Still nothing. Allingham was pale as paper. His jaw hung slack. Belanger went on. In order to keep up appearances... It is clear that she trafficked these children of hers. Where? To the photographer. Do you know, in the background of this photo, there is a mirror. Regarde, you can see who the photographer is. Although, given how all of you respond to this news, I hardly think it is necessary. I think everybody in this room knows who the photographer is. I think it is an open secret. The Duke's face had changed. Gone was the look of bracing aristocratic stoicism. Gone were the sunny smiles and charming, compassionate eyes. The gaze that now met Belanger was like pack ice, the mouth a hard, contemptuous line. But something changed, said Belanger. The girl, Marietta. She's fourteen, yes? It is a time of great changes in one's life. I think she no longer would go along with her mother's arrangement. I think her mother would not force her. I think it become a point of contention between her and the man in this photograph. The Duke's expression did not change, though Belanger's features, normally so impassive, had become contorted with fury. Senor, 
Do you deny it? Deny? said the Duke. Deny what? Officers, said Belanger, flinging out an arm toward the Duke. Arrest this man. But nobody moved. Allingham, command your men. But Allingham just stared at the ground and said nothing. For a moment, the great detective stood in open shock. And then his posture sagged a little, and he said, Oh. I must congratulate you, Belanger, said the Duke of Grey. You've done a magnificent job. You've truly lived up to your reputation. You remain, how did the globe put it? A credit to your race. Belanger said nothing. Nobody said anything. You've solved the murder of Lady Elizabeth Knight, continued the Duke. It was Jack Strange all along. What a surprise. When you come out and announce it to be the case, nobody will ask a second question. Your integrity is the stuff of legend. And what makes you think? said the great detective, trying to muster his defiance. What makes you think I will go along with this? What makes you think I will be a part of this open secret you all share? The Duke stepped forward and took the photograph from Belanger's hands. A boy and a girl, he said, looking down at it with a wry smile. Dominic and Marietta, eleven and fourteen years old. He glanced back up. His eyes were like cold razors. I'm told you have a daughter about the same age. Some forty-one hours after the murder, the residents and guests at Flusherton Manor gathered around the black windows to watch the departure of a vehicle that was not a police car. It was a grey Daimler. It had been expensive once, but was now battered and rusting from years of hard use. The car was well suited to the famous man who slumped in its back seat, with a burned-out cigarette between his lips, its column of ash still somehow intact. In the rear view, a manor house sank into the distance, taking with it its Regency proportions, facade of ashlar limestone, and tripartite Venetian windows. He'd visited many such houses during the course of his storied career, but after the arrest, trial, and hanging of Jack Strange, he broke the habit. Later, when a reporter tracked him down to a garret in Montreal, he was still smoking Ganawage cigarettes, even though emphysema was mere months from taking his life. As an expert on the subject, he rasped, Old habits do not die until murdered. The Wrong Station is made possible by the generous support of our listeners on Patreon. Consider visiting today at patreon.com slash thewrongstation. You can also support us by leaving a rating and review on iTunes, or wherever it is that you listen to The Wrong Station. This week's episode, Aki Belanger and the Case of the Open Secret, was written by Alexander Saxton and performed by Anthony Botello. The Wrong Station is co-produced by Alexander Saxton, Anthony Botello, and Jacob Duarte Spiel, with music composed and performed on the piano by Ilan Citrin, and arranged for the viola and performed by Viola Schmid. You can subscribe to The Wrong Station on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, and any other of your favorite podcast services. 
You can follow The Wrong Station on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. You can also follow The Wrong Station creative team on Twitter at AEW Saxton, AJV Batello, and Jacob BRDS. And until next time, thank you for listening.